Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio out of Monster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined again by Forever Buff, Ryan Miller. Ryan, uh, the Buffs break out of their slump uh, with the 34-0 win over Arizona, their first shout-out against an FBS opponent since 2005. We could spend a lot of this time talking about how bad Arizona is, but I think for one podcast, it's going to be nice to be a little bit optimistic and, and uh, you know, feel good about what we saw on Saturday from the Buffs. Let's do it. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid. Let's do it. And this was finally an end-of-game box score when you look at the offensive players that it didn't look like a halftime box score. It looked like a full game had been played out there with those offensive players. Brandon Lewis with a career-high 248 yards passing. Brendan Rice with his first 100-yard game as a buff. Pro Football Focus actually gave Rice 91.5 grade for the game, and they gave Lewis a 90.6 grade. Anything They, they consider anything uh, with a grade of 85 or higher to be considered NFL caliber. Obviously, just one game, again, against a bad opponent. But, uh, you know, you look back at the USC game, no buff had a grade better than 80 in that game. So, obviously, good performances there by both Brennan Lewis and Brennan Rice. What did you take away from just what they did offensively against the Wildcats? I think you got to look at it in the terms of two halves, right? I mean, coming in there, we make a couple of trips to the red zone and leaving with points is obviously what you want, but two field goals, unable to punch it in, that's a problem. Um, but you look at that second half, right? Special teams gets going, defense gets going, and then finally the offense begins to really, really click in gears. Um, this is a different Lewis than we have seen all year. Right. I, I think you ask any Buff fan right now, this kid stood in the pocket, put some zip on some on some balls, and they were accurate. Um, you know, this very much could have been a blowout, a blowout win, a much larger blowout win. We had a couple of drop passes, you know, one in the end zone and, and some more that, you know, this game really could have, the floodgates could have just absolutely burst open. Love to see it. Um, Vernon Rice. That dude has got some talent, big body with extreme control. Uh, watching him move around defenders was so fun. It was, it's fun yelling and screaming and losing a voice at the end of the game again. That was, that was awesome. I still haven't got a feel for Carl Jarrell in just whether he's aggressive or he's conservative. It was kind of interesting. They had a fourth and one at, at the one yard line. And they opt to go for a field goal later. They actually went for it on fourth and one in Arizona territory. And then later they kicked a field goal as well. Do you have a feel there or is it it, kind of hard to tell? I kind of get it in a game against Arizona. You want to get points whenever you can. I just, I don't have a sense for what Jarrell's going to do in those situations where some coaches you kind of know going in, this is their MO with whether they're going to be conservative or they're, they're going to be aggressive. And, And I haven't gotten that. Still, you know, 12 games into the Carl Durrell era, I don't, I don't know what, you know, Bill, he fits at this point. Absolutely. It's the offensive lineman to me is like, why are we not going for this on fourth and ones? You know, you have a, it's more than points at that point. You can build confidence in your team if you've got enough confidence for them to go in and, and, and get that one yard or inches, whatever it needs to be. But, you know, if you're quarterback there and you're not sure what's going on, how how do you get into a good a good sense of who who do your coaches trust 
And that's, I would have liked to see us really try to punch it in there make a statement. Um, we've got a, a phenomenal defense right now that is absolutely kicking butt and taking names, but what, what can, what can throw the spark, right? We'll talk about that later. What, what sparks were thrown, but fourth and one like that, I think, I think if you get, you're given the opportunity, let's put some faith in these guys, you know, what have you got to lose at this point? Carson Wells also had a grade in the nineties on pro football focus. Not that that's the gospel. And, and I, I don't even know how they have the resources to accurately do the grades they do, but just, just for comparison's sake to, you know, previous games when they didn't have guys that were grading out at eight or 80 or better. And they've got another guy that they deem to be NFL caliber in that game, but Wells with four tackles for a loss, a sack and a pick six, just a fantastic performance. We've talked a lot about Nate Lamon being a bright spot for the buffs this year. I was watching Carson Wells move around earlier this season, and oftentimes he was limping between plays. He had a foot issue a couple of years ago, was healthy last year, led the nation in tackles for a loss per game. It's clear when he's healthy, he's an elite player out there. I think the bye week really helped him just to get his body right. Uh, what, would, what are just your feelings when you watch Carson Wells out there making plays? Love, love watching Carson Wells. I'm glad he finally got some reward with that pick six. Uh, just like you said, he's he's flying around, and Nate gets a lot of attention. Absolutely credited, he absolutely deserves it. But Carson's another one of those kids that he he's got a nose for the ball, right? He's so close, so many times with either PBU or getting his face right in there where the ball's coming loose. Now he finally gets that pick, finally runs it back, and he just he baited him perfectly uh, for that that pick. There's there's not much you can do about that. And you're exactly right. When he's healthy, he's moving around, he's flying around, he's making tackles, he's getting hats where they need to be. And it's an excellent one-two punch out there. He's got some really good football knowledge in there. A lot of, a lot of props to Wells for this game. And finally, some well-deserved credit and uh, getting that reward with that six. Brian Michalowski's group is really doing – uh, a good job this year. Guy Thomas has been making big plays. Jamar Montgomery uh, played pretty well in there. Even Josh Gustav had a forced fumble in that game. So that's a group that had a really good day against the Wildcats. But it really was a true freshman in Trevor Woods that really lit the spark. I mean, this is a football game that was 3 nothing for a while and then 6 nothing for a long time. And CU just could not break out against a, you know, a team that they ended up you know, blowing out, but for a long period of time there in this game, you're, you're kind of waiting for this, you know, the, the offense to show up. And it was Trevor Woods that kind of sparked things with his block punt and then the scoop and score after that. Why can, Ryan, I'm curious from a player's perspective, why can one play like that create so, so much momentum for a team and really propel things for, for a f- football squad? Well, we've talked about who's going who's gonna to be the spark. Right, it can come from anybody. You have guys you want it to come from, but I mean, Woods makes a phenomenal play, a very difficult play, and extremely athletic at that. And then with the scoop and score, when you get a big play on special teams, a block punt, or just where somebody lays out the return or anything like that, it's I don't know what that X factor is. All I know is I have been a part of teams that when it happens, it, it catches like dry tinder. And I think we saw that towards the end of the game, or excuse me, after the game and continuing forward, right? All of a sudden it's bam, bam, bam. And now this team, you don't even recognize them from the first half. Uh, 
I don't know how how it works. The energy, whatever it is, when you get a big play on special teams, we we saw what happened, right? Big props to the freshmen for getting that done, and the whole place erupted, right? The whole yeah. mantra of that place was different. Yeah, Wells had the pick six, like we had referenced after that Woods scoop and score. Is it just, you know, as much as it is momentum, is it just kind of taking pressure off an offense that has maybe, I, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of pressure those guys have felt. It was maybe they went from pressing to a fact where they can just go out there and, and play loose. Absolutely. I was just, I was going to say that you, you have the opportunity now where you can play loose. Those are bonus points, turnovers and non-offensive TDs. That's, those are plus ones and you collect more of those. You're going to win games. Right, you're eliminating series. You're doing all of this, this work that that should go the other way. And when you end up with points at the end of a series like that, that's that's huge for an offense, right? Even if you just had a big 12 play drive, and all of a sudden your D turns around, pick six, right? Maybe you only got a field goal. Maybe you ended it with a punt, but you feel rewarded as a team. And that's that's how good teams continue to win games is they win the turnover battle battle and they get points other ways we got quite a few questions from fans here so we'll jump into the buff stampede radio mailbag first off is dab buff he asked with a big shutout win over arizona are the buffs figuring things out offensively defensively and coaching wise or is it more reflective that arizona hasn't won in so long ryan obviously a combination of the buffs figuring some things out and Arizona not being a great football team, do you put that more on one side or the other, more on the Buffs figuring things out, or more on Arizona just not being a very good football team? I think it's apples to oranges. Arizona has some good guys on that team. I mean, we'll talk about our O-line in a little bit, but um, Trevin Mason had a field day with our O-line, and you get an injury uh, injury to quarterback. I think they've had what three starters this year. Uh, that's that's tough. And coming off a bye for us, take a little time to get healthy, work on some of our technique. Definitely helped, right? Coaches had time to to do do more things than just game plan. Um, and I think that was a what we saw on Saturday was was indicative of of what what the bye week did is that some guys that were able to build some cohesion. Defense looked just as good, if not best, better than they've looked all year. Um, offense, we came out and moved the ball a little bit. It's you stack these things up, and and I think I think it was some of us. I think part of it, some of them. Uh, I'm happy they got the win, and I'm happy they got it in a fashion that was, you know, with an exclamation point. And no question, Arizona. Again, they're not a good football team. They've now lost 18 in a row, but their pass defense actually ranked pretty high in the conference going into that game. So it's not like Brennan Lewis had that breakout game against one of the worst secondaries. I mean, that was a group that had actually been playing well. I actually thought that CU's running game would have a field day against Arizona's run defense, and that didn't really pan out. So uh, as bad as Arizona is, their past secondary had been good. So that's a good sign for them going forward. Up next is a question from L.E. Buff. He asked, why is our offensive line having such trouble run blocking as compared to last year? Any thoughts here, Ryan? Yeah, I... How do I say this without going too far? We, <laughs> we got guys that just 
we just we just need to play better. Uh, there's too many missed assignments uh, this year, and what does that do to? I think it's due to the rotation. Guys are in different positions. They're they're rolling around doing multiple things. You're not sure if you're going to get this series or the next series. And as an offensive lineman, you absolutely have to be flexible, right? You've got to know as a guard what your center and what your tackle are doing. That's important. I'm, I'm not discounting how how that needs to be done. However, when you you don't get a chance to get the flow of a game going, right? One one two series, and then you get pulled in another one series, and uh, you don't know how backers are filling fits. You know, you don't know how the guys next to you are taking steps and you have the practice time with it, but game time speed is so different. You you cannot recreate that in practice against the same defensive line and against the same linebackers. Different linebackers are going to play fits differently. Different D linemen are going to either penetrate or, or move laterally. And, and unless you have that cohesion built with those guys around you, it's so hard to get back into that that swing. I think that's that's the main the main caveat of, of where our run game is struggling is we're not getting good fits. The technique doesn't look good. And I think it's because guys don't know they can't play fast enough with the guys next to them because of that lack of cohesion. You kind of already answered this question here, but I'm still going to ask it because I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts on this and kind of drop the discussion on the offensive line situation. Our Jack three asked is rotating lineman after most series as big of a deal as Matt McChesney has made it in a recent DNVR podcast. And Ryan, I I'm curious to get your thoughts here again. You kind of already touched on it, but I've always kind of had the thought that if you go into the season and there's six or seven guys, and there's not a lot of separation between a couple right tackles or a couple right guards. I'm fine that first game, game and a half rotating guys to kind of figure out who's going to really earn that job. But it feels like after that point, you really want to get to a set five as long as they're healthy and and really settle on that group. Again, you use the word cohesion for that simple reason, but I've never been in the trenches. I don't know what it's like to be an offensive lineman. What are, what are your thoughts kind of building off what you said before, just in terms of how big a deal is it when you're rotating guys in terms of limiting and preventing that cohesion from happening? Wherever I have played, right, it's been the best five will play. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best guard, the best tackle, the best center. It's the best five. So if you've got four centers in there, right, you're spreading them out across the line. But just like what you said, first game, second game, you know, maybe a guy has a good week in practice. But give him the nod, right? Give him a half. I, I I cannot stand this rotating of offensive lines. And it's you're asking you're asking so much of these guys and then pulling it away from them. Just just to you know piggyback on what I just said. I, I don't love it. I don't like it at all. I want I want us to have a set five. And if we have an injury, if we have somebody go down, yeah, replace them. But give these guys a chance to see how the other guys work in pass pro to get good run fits. And that's, that's where I think we will see more success in our pass game, pass blocking and the run game is, is knowing how guys work together. And you can use that as a coaching staff, right? You can see how guys will block a two, three slide, or, you know, even a four man slide and know that the fit's going to be a little bit better here. And you can adjust the aiming point of the back. 
right? If one guy likes to play a little bit more loose, but you know you have a guard inside that can take out that outside shoulder that's like, you pick up on these small little things that you can't find unless you have a, a good visualization of how these guys can play together for 60, 65 plays. Um, you look at good teams, they're not rotating offensive linemen. I don't care who you are and at what level. High school, college, NFL, get your best five, have your six man to come in and fill. You've got a seventh as a swing or an inside. And that's, you know, if you're not one of those guys, become one of those guys, work to be one of them. But at this point, the rotation, I'm, I'm kind of at my wit's end with it. At some positions like running back and D-line, you have a rotation and it actually kind of helps the morale within that group. But as an offensive lineman, if you're not a starter, it doesn't really build, you know, that morale within the group, right? Because guys kind of want to know where they stand going into each game. Well, you absolutely know where you stand, you know, and yes, you have your starting five and that group gets tight, but it's a different mentality on the offensive lineman as, as an, as an line is even if you're that number seven, number eight guy, you still, you need to be a good scout team player. You need to give, you know, good visualizations on the, on the, on the sideline. That's, that's part of the job of an offensive lineman. And it should drive you to try to beat one of those five guys out. That's what keeps the competition and that healthy, healthy warring attitude to, to keep those guys at the best. Um, and it's how you filter out guys that, that don't have the mental strength to be there also. Because if you're that sixth guy or that seventh guy and you tank, right, well, maybe that number nine guy can really work his way up and see it. It's, but you can't establish that unless you get your, your five guys that you put your stamp on. We have one more offensive line question before we move on to other topics. Buff Predictor asked, what accounts for the lack of physicality on the offensive line in the run game? Is it scheme? Is it youth at the tackle position or guys being forced back into action from injury too soon? Or is it lack of cohesion due to too much rotation? We've spent a lot of time on that cohesion part of things. Uh, <laughs> where, where do you put most of, uh, you know, the the onus in terms of the lack of uh, physicality on the offensive line in the run game too? I'm going to put three out of five on rotation it, right out the gate. Uh, there's definitely a lack of physicality out there. Uh, and then the last one being, I'm going to give it to scheme, right? Schemes, scheme slash technique. There's, there's footwork in there. There's, there's some hat placement and head hand placement that I'm, I'm not thrilled about. But first and foremost, we need that cohesion. Number two, got to get hats on hats. And then three, you got to execute with the proper technique. Um, that, that's, that's where we're going to stand on that one. I think think that's going to be a huge indicator of how we do going forward. All right, moving along here, Colorado asked if Brennan Lewis is able to keep playing like he did in the first, uh, I'm sorry, like he did in the second half against Arizona. Is six and six possible? What would your record prediction be for the final six games? He added, Cal and Washington seem to be the most likely possible wins. Oregon is almost certainly going to be a loss. Oregon State, UCLA, and Utah are beatable but we will be underdogs. So he's, he's, he's prefacing this, that Lewis is going to be the guy that we saw in the second half against Arizona. What, what do you think? I think if Lewis is the guy we saw in the second half, we have got a fighting chance, no question. 
And if you're a college football fan and you watch any of this season, anybody can be beat, right? And the, I'm going to say this, and there's a couple people that are going to roll their eyes at me, and I really don't care, is we take Texas A&M to the wire, right? Who does Texas A&M just beat? Okay. Anybody can beat anybody given the day, right? And if you've got guys clicking on or firing on all cylinders like Lewis was at the end of that game or the second half of that game, when our offensive line is together and we've got guys that are moving people around, our defense has clearly stated that, that they're, the, they're the flag there here, right? They are the standard and they're putting it in the ground. And then we start to get special teams rolling as well. Guys limit right now. This was so good to see all units working individually of each other, but individually as a whole to get, you know, a, a 35 plus score where everybody scores and we've got this good feeling on a, you know, on a, on a weekend, on a Monday feeling like that. Six and six is absolutely possible. Um, you look at the, the Cal and the, I want to say it was the Cal and the Oregon game, right? Cal comes back to potentially win that game put it in the OT. Uh, Oregon didn't look awesome. They're good, but they didn't look phenomenal. They got beat by Stanford, I think. Oregon got beat by Stanford. Uh, Yeah, yeah, two weeks ago. Yep. Right. So this is – the Pac-12 is notorious for shooting itself in the foot, right, when it comes to the college football playoffs. Anybody can beat anybody in this – in this division. Yeah, no question. Oregon, you know, they're, they're kind of trending in a negative direction. You mentioned the fact they lost to Stanford and then Cal, which is a team that had really been struggling, uh, battled Oregon on Friday night, only lost that game by seven points. So, yeah, there, there's certainly no unbeatable team to in this conference. It. Yeah. Yeah. He did ask what our record prediction will be for the final six games. Now, I don't know if this is in line with Lewis playing like he did in the second half or if this is just what our prediction is. Um, I don't think at this point you can expect Lewis necessarily to be the player he was in the second half for each of these final six games. That, that would be great. Um, there just haven't, hasn't been enough sample size with Lewis playing like that to, to assume that's going to happen. Uh, I would still probably put my prediction at Colorado winning four or five games at this point. Um, uh, what, what, what do you think there? Yeah, I'm going to go with that, that four and two, you know, three and three. I think, if if we get consistency out of all three all three um, aspects, right, and Lewis continues to play like he's playing, this this is a talented kid, and the more reps he gets behind center, uh, the more the receivers develop with him, the more time he gets to go through reads. And this is, you, I don't think he's getting time to really look look over his whole past pass protection package and his passing route. We saw the arm strength and the decisive abilities that he has this, this past week. So yeah, no doubt. I think, I think four and two is absolutely, absolutely a very possible realm. If we get consistent play uh, like we did in the second half of this Arizona game. Yeah. And just to clarify my prediction there, I was thinking four or five wins total. So that would be, um, Right now, I'd say most likely two and four, three and three down the stretch. But uh, again, you look at this schedule, there's a lot of winnable games out there. They're going to be on the road a lot. You know, Four of their last six games are away from Folsom Field. So it's going to be interesting to see just kind of how uh, they, they build off the momentum. They 
we think gained against Arizona. Moving along, Buffalo ship 303 asked, why are they lining B. Lou up under center? Are there any stats showing offensive efficiency under center versus shotgun? So I haven't seen any numbers with him under center or shotgun. Pro football focus does break it down in terms of uh, how Lewis does with certain throws in terms of are they short throws to the left, deep throws to the right. He's actually been really good with the deep balls. Uh, obviously, a small sample size. He hasn't been able to, to you know, cut it loose many times this year. But because of uh, the success he had throwing downfield on Saturday, th- those numbers look pretty good for him. But what are your thoughts here? You don't see a lot of quarterbacks in college football these days going under center. So uh, it makes sense that people are kind of thrown off by that. And, and given their their lack of offensive efficiency through the first half of the season, I understand why that's under criticism as well. You know, I this is, it's a it's a great question. Um, I don't know the efficiency wise. What I do know is that under center gives you that that quick hit ability. Um, we finally threw some smokes this weekend. I was thrilled to see that. And I, I think they were from under center as well. Uh, but you get some RPOs in there with like a power to a quick bubble screen or something like that. It's a lot easier to do that under under center. Uh, you can do it from a shotgun, but when you're under center, you're thinking, you know, as a defense, some counter stuff, uh, maybe some fullback dive, some ISO stuff. And it just changes the view from a as a defense looking in, right? Like, Maybe you're thinking a little more run, but if they're able to spread it out and get running lanes or guess passing lanes that turn into run lanes on the end, uh, if they ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't have a problem with it per se, uh, but I don't I don't have enough knowledge um, to to really answer that question. You know, I don't know the uh, the efficiency versus under um, or in shotgun. It's I think it makes them a more rounded quarterback, right? Especially if we are going to do some of these fourth and ones. Right, get up there under center where you've been comfortable, where you've taken snaps from the center. It's uh, kind of where I'm at with it. When you were at CU, you kind of got a you weren't the center, but you got quite a mix of all that, right? What, I, mean, I think Tyler Hansen was under center quite a bit. They didn't you guys kind of do a variety of things in terms of under center shotgun, even some pistol stuff. Yeah, so definitely, definitely some stuff with Cody. Definitely some stuff with uh, with Tyler. Um, it gives you the ability, right, to to move back and forth based on what you need to get done. You know, pistol to gun to, to under. Uh, things move a little bit faster when you're when you're under center as an interior three. You just know you can't get any penetration. Uh, it, different different things make themselves available to you under center, though. Okay, gotcha. R Jack three asked. Who do you feel is more likely to break out and finish the season strong on the offensive side of the ball, Brennan Lewis or Jarek Broussard? That's a that's a good question there. What do you think? I'm gonna go with Lewis right now. Um, I would I would love for both of them to break out with it. Right, we we put so much emphasis on the running backs the first the first part of this season, and. That's phenomenal, but they're one aspect of it, right? Lewis can really control the game based on how he's performing, right? We, you know, Bersard has a has an off one. We can bring in another another running back. You know, Lewis Lewis has an off one, and yeah, we can bring in Carter. But I think we've we've put our eggs in this basket with Lewis. Um, 
And as a team, I want to see them really rally around him. And he's the guy, right? And he could be the guy for the next couple of years. I really hope to see that. Yeah, what makes me pause in answering this question is just the expectations are different for both these guys. I mean, Jarek Broussard was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year last year. So if he's not running for over 100 yards a game, people kind of look at that as a disappointing performance. And certainly Broussard's overall struggles, just, I mean, he hasn't put up big numbers like he did last year. A lot of that is not his fault. Um, Whereas Lewis, you're kind of looking at him to just be – a, a, you know, a quarterback that's mid-level, you know, you're not expecting him to be an all-conference type at this point just because of, of where he started this season. You know, there was a point when he was one of the worst rated quarterbacks in all of Power 5 in FBS, and I think he probably still is somewhere in that that discussion just because one game isn't going to fix what happened the first five weeks. I, I think most likely to break out and finish the season strong. I mean, just Broussard has so much talent. I mean, I remember being at their first preseason scrimmage. He took the first carry he had uh, I think there's first two carries for over 100 yards uh and, and against a CU defense that's proved to be pretty decent this year so I, I I expect him to get going in the second half of the season I'd be surprised if he's averaging 50 yards per game the second half of the season like he did the first and they, they kind of work together right Ryan when Brennan Lewis is making plays downfield that's going to open up things for Broussard I think that what that was one of the issues he's faced is just other teams stacking the box against him right Right, hard to run the hard to run the ball against nine, ten in the box. Uh, but when you start airing out, everything begins to open up a little bit. It really blossoms into something special. So you pick Lewis there. I'll go Broussard, but I think for uh, the the future of CU football, if Lewis can be the guy that that does break out and finish strong, that's that's what you would pick here if you're a CU fan. Our Jack Three also asked, "What do you feel like the recruiting sales pitch for the Buffs to fi- is for the Buffs to finish out strong as we get closer?" to the early national signing day. So that is actually coming up. Yeah. Less than two months away is the early signing day. They've got a pretty full class at this point. I mean, they've got 16 commits, uh, a silent commit at this point. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to sign a full class of 25, because I think you're going to want to leave some of those open scholarships uh, or they're not even really open. You're going to have to ask guys to move on from that junior class, even to make room for the guys that have verbally committed on board, but you're going to need some spots for guys in the transfer portal, that's a new college football. Um, I guess I'll pose it to you this way, Ryan, is if you are a recruit, which you've, you've been back in the day, <laughs> when you're, you're looking at this Colorado team that is two and four, they're in their second year under Carl Durrell. If Carl Durrell's in your living room, if uh, Mitch Rodriguez in your living room, what kind of sales pitch do you want to hear from them to make you feel comfortable in committing to them? Gosh. Most of the time, I'd, I'd like to see Boulder kind of speak for itself. If you can get recruits into Boulder, you're going to have a fighting chance. Uh, you look at Ralphie, you look at, at Folsom, the new Champion Center. That Champion Center is better than maybe not all, but most of the NFL teams I've played for. I mean, that is just a phenomenal, you want to talk about taking care of all aspects of your body as a player, right? People forget that the Carl was the Pac-12 coach of the year last year, right? And he, we've done some pretty, pretty good things. And I think we're still, I think we're still have that little bit of taste in our mouth from the Tucker recruiting class. Um, last year being the whole COVID thing, that was weird. 
there are some absolutely phenomenal opportunities to come out here, to come to Colorado and, and get it done, right? To get your name on the wall, to be a phenomenal player and to get some good PT and to fight for a job and to fight for a school that, that has a tremendous amount of tradition. Um, there's a huge amount of pride in that. And my, my recruiting pitch to any, any of these guys is, is always going to be the pride and tradition of the Colorado Buffaloes. And this is a storied university with a phenomenal history with some of the most incredible views and atmospheres in college football you're going to get. And I'll take that to the bank. Um, there is nothing like running out behind Ralphie and putting your hand in the dirt next to guys that you live with, you go to class with, and then you get out on the field and you see that student section. And I got to give it up to that student section. That place was packed. Um, this, this is a phenomenal place to play college ball at. And man, I get a little emotional just thinking about my memories. There is, you can't replace it. Uh, it, it can't be substituted. There is no place like the university of Colorado. And I think the the recruiting sales pitch will kind of depend a little bit in terms of what CU does the second half of the season, right? I mean, if they if they do somehow go four and two and get to a bowl game, you're able to sell that we went to back to back bowl games for the first time since oh four oh five. But now, if they struggle down the stretch, I think that pitch has to change a little bit, and it has to be we were really young, but we still need a lot of help, and there's you know that possibility for early playing time if you come here to Colorado. Uh, I think the second half of what they do this year is uh, going to kind of weigh heavily into terms of how this program's kind of viewed from a perception standpoint as they go into year three with Jarrell. Uh, again, if you can somehow finish out strong, this is a young football team. You can kind of show the trajectory of things is kind of headed in, in the right direction. Um, does that matter for most high school recruits? I know you're a Colorado guy, so maybe you you looked at the whole recruiting process through a different lens, but you had teammates that, that came from different states. And, and uh, do you think that what CU does the second half of the season is important in terms of what they can sell from a, a recruiting standpoint? I do. It's, I don't think it's make or break, but I definitely think that it's going to, there's going to be a lot, a lot riding on it. Um, it's, there's an opportunity here. And if we can just grasp it, I think it'll really help with the recruiting classes coming up. I also think it's helpful that uh, Darrell has had a, a full year, right? Or what will be a full year of actually able to recruit his kind of guys. Uh, I think that gets overlooked is when you have a coaching change and you have a, a pretty good staff change, right? As a, as a guy that was recruited by somebody and then you have a new coach that comes in and kind of changes that, that mantra. It's like, uh, you know, are you really going to get everything out of that guy? And when you get your guys in there, we continue with this cohesion, right? That's that's where teams have success. So, And while Buff asked about a shot, Clayton, he was not suited up for the game on Saturday. We've got Carl Durrell's press conference coming up here later on Monday. That's when we're recording this. And so I'm going to ask about a shot, Clayton. So we'll have an answer to that through Carl Durrell at the recording of this here with Ryan. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Next up for the Buffs is a trip to Berkeley. Like I mentioned, four of their last six games in the regular season are going to be away from Folsom Field. What do you think, Ryan? Can they can they carry this momentum that they gained on Saturday over into the second half of the season? Yes, they can. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Let's do it. <laughs> I think I think I think Lewis did some things that that showed us why he's a starter. Uh 
let's just keep it. Let's build on it. And we've got a really good opportunity in front of us. I'm excited to watch these buffs the second half of the season. Excited to keep having these very thoughtful and emotional and enjoying podcast with you but this is it's been yeah. a lot more fun this round awesome yeah no i agree and uh, i appreciate <laughs> you for for sticking through some through some of those tough weeks i mean i don't think anybody wanted to you know any of us wanted to talk about that usc loss and, and the arizona state game and stuff so i appreciate you for coming on each week and breaking things down win or loss and hopefully there's there's a lot more wins for us to talk about here in the second half of the season thanks ryan i appreciate you Absolutely, Adam. Thanks, bud. All right, and thanks to all of you for tuning in.